Welcome to episode 187 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on February 26th of 2022. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. On this week's episode, we've got some distro news, app news, gaming news, and even a little bit of legal news to cover. All of this and so much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux. Good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean, by Visuex, and by Bitwarden. Before we get started this week with the show, I want to give you a quick reminder about the live stream. We are now streaming every week on the main network channel, so you can subscribe to that channel to get notifications for all of the live streams from the network, whether it's a gaming stream from GameSphere, whether it's a stream for this show or Destination Linux. There's tons of great stuff that are going to be coming on the main channel for the live streams, as well as we're going to be doing highlights and clips from various shows on that channel too. So be sure to subscribe to that channel to get notified when there's new highlights or clips and when there's new live streams of this show and more. A first in the show this week, the Steam Deck has officially launched. Well, kind of. Depending on where you are in the queue, the launch could have already happened for you, or it could be months from now. For example, I have to wait a couple of months at least. I don't know exactly how long, but you know, I understand why they're doing it this way to be able to manage the demand and all of that, especially with the supply issues that have been going on for a while. But at the same time, I feel like it's necessary for me to say, give me my Steam Deck. But anyway, in the meantime, we do have some more info about the device. There have been hardware reviews, and now with the launch of the device, the experience reviews have been going, coming out, and they're very interesting, and I'm happy with the reviews I've seen. There are some things to be critical about, of course, because there always is, but a lot of the reviews are incredibly enthusiastic, even with the issues, because a lot of these issues are like kind of software-related, so they can be fixed in an update. I also like the fact that most of the reviews are treating it as a console, not screaming about it's not all the games are available and that sort of thing, because every console is purposely limited in game compatibility, and while the Steam Deck is unique in that it is trying to support as many as possible, it's still a console, right? So it's really cool to see when some of them are treating it the right way, and not all of them are, but all the big ones that I've seen are treating it the right way and treating it as a console, which is great. So not all the games are available in the Steam library, but there's a lot that are. And with that said, there's more than uh, more than 780 titles right now that are classified as either better or playable, so better or verified, which is awesome. And they continue to grow every day. There was even like a like in one case there was an extra hundred added uh, on a weekly basis for a while. So I am super excited about that. Plus. You can now easily check which games you were already uh, you already own or supported by the Steam Deck because you can go into your library and there's a way to go to the Steam Deck and check to see which one is available. And it will give you a listing of what's verified, what's playable, and it will also tell you the number of things that they don't know for sure yet, as well as the ones that are unsupported. So you can still get the full range of what you have. If it's unknown, it just tells you a number. It doesn't tell you what the games are. But uh, it's really cool that it gives you the breakdown of what tier the games are just by your own like your own library, which is really helpful. 
Also, Valve has been hard at work with the Steam Deck, but they've also been working with the Steam VR stuff. So for the Steam VR fans, you're not being ignored. And a recent update from Valve has introduced some new features and addressed some issues for with Steam VR this week. So if you have the Valve Index and that sort of stuff, then you're going to be looking for some updates to there before big improvements to various different games. Also, there was a, a sticky thread posted on R Linux about the device to express guidelines about interacting with new people who are going to be introduced to Linux thanks to this device. And I'm mentioning this because I think it's a good idea. I, I second the sentiment. There will be new people joining the ecosystem thanks to the Steam Deck, and that is awesome. But we need to also recognize and think about the fact that these will be brand new types of users as well, and we should treat them that way and you know, be cordial and nice to them. Uh, there's sometimes Reddit is known for not being all that nice, so I think it's great that they push this out there. But I also wanted to put it out there in like a broader scope and say, you know, people might ask you questions that are related to Linux on on the Steam Deck, and they might not clarify what they mean. So give them a little bit of some uh, leeway and some leniency on there. But anyway, if you'd like to learn more about the Steam Deck and this latest news that we have for it, which we'll eventually be able to get it, our hands on it at some point in time. Link in the show notes. Up next in the show, Intel has announced that they will be acquiring the company Linutronics. So Linutronics is a German-based Linux consulting firm focused on embedding Linux, embedded Linux, and real-time computing. Linutronics is made up of a team highly qualified and motivated employees with a wealth of experience and involvement in the ongoing development of Linux. For example, the CEO, Heinz Egger, and the CTO of Thomas uh, Gleeksner, Linutronics is like basically an architect of a lot of stuff. For example, they work on the real-time work for the preempt RT stuff, uh, also the leading technology provider for industri industrial Linux. Uh, Gleeksner has been the principal maintainer of the x86 architecture in the Linux kernel since 2008. There's a lot of involvement with this company. Uh, the plan is, they say, evidently, to continue to run Linutronics as an independent company rather than absorbing it into Intel. And I know a lot of companies say that, but then again, I, I don't. I actually, I do think that Intel is going to be upfront about this sort of things because. You know, some companies will say that and then go against it later, but I have a feeling this will be completely different because last year, uh, Thomas Gleeksner did a presentation on preempt RT, and in it he said that funding is and always was a challenge. Development and maintenance is currently stalled due to a funding gap. A uh, gap needs to be closed to ensure mainline integration. And the reference for that is back in 2020, getting preempt RT merged into the mainline kernel was held up due to a lack of funding. Now with Linutronics being part of Intel, hopefully one of their first efforts will be to, you know, getting the real-time patches upstreamed into the kernel. With this, plus the news about Intel joining the RISC-V Foundation that we covered in a previous episode, I think there will be some positivity from this acquisition. And if you'd like to learn more about it, well, I've actually got two options for you. You can check the link in the show notes, as you would normally do. Or you can check the live stream tomorrow. Join me, Jill, and Ryan for the next episode of Destination Linux as we'll be having an in-depth discussion on this topic on episode 267 of Destination Linux, which is being live streamed at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern or 1800 UTC tomorrow, Sunday, February 27th. Hope to see you there on the same channel that this is currently live streaming. I talked about that earlier in the show. There's a change of the stream, but it's the same channel. So subscribe to the channel to get updates of live streams. Up next in the show is Podman 4.0. So Podman 4.0 has been released and you might be wondering, what is Podman? 
Well, Podman is a daemonless container engine for developing, managing, and running OCI containers on your Linux system. Containers can be either run as root or as a rootless mode, which is one of the most important pieces about Podman is that you have the option to do rootless mode. Uh, they said that Podman 4.0 is one of their most significant releases ever. Over 60 new features in this release, and the headliner of this release is a complete rewrite of the network stack for improved functionality and performance. They've also done improvements to Pods, and also Podman's Mac and Windows support has also been uh, improved here. Uh, Podman's Pods has seen numerous new features added to allow sharing resources between containers in the pod, which is very important. And they also say that this is just the beginning of what they have planned. Eventually, they aim to have almost every option from Podman run available to pods to allow easy sharing of configuration options among containers with inside these containers, which is a very important aspect of being able to do this thing because it, it opens up a lot of options and possibilities with containers using Podman when that happens. So if you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Podman 4.0, link in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex. But standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. You, with DigitalOcean, you get predictable, predictable pricing, you get robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. Get support at every stage of growth, from teams of one to teams of a thousand, with simple, powerful cloud computing. Get growing at DigitalOcean. And as a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is giving a $100 free credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. We changed the URL to tux for many reasons, but for reference, tux is the name of the Linux Penguin mascot, so there's that. So again, get started with your $100 free credit at DigitalOcean with their awesome cloud platform and check out all of their awesome tutorials. There's over 2,000 tutorials that will help you get started with DigitalOcean. So go to do.co slash tux2022. And I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, Myth TV 32 has been released. For those who don't know, MythTV is an open source digital video recorder or DVR software. So MythTV 32.0 is the first major release in almost about two years, and but it is stacked with a ton of improvements. So MythTV 32 introduces initial Vulkan API rendering support. It also adds basic HEVC H265 video re recording support, uh, ASTC closed caption support, improved DVB V5 API support. They also added new code for HTTP uh, and WebSockets. They've also made a lot of improvements for the NVIDIA NVDEC decoding and tons of work on the MythTV library, which is lib MythTV, and uh, just so much more. I used to use MythTV for making my own DVR back in the day, but due to the streaming services these days, I haven't really had a need for it personally, but I do know many people still do and still use it, and it is awesome to see that this project is continuing to be developed and evolve, and adding support for Vulkan rendering can be very powerful down the line, for example, so I am looking forward to seeing what happens next with this project of MythTV. So if you have to learn more about MythTV in general or check out the latest release of 32.0, link in the show notes. 
Up next in the show is the latest release of PeerTube, and that is released 4.1. For those unfamiliar, PeerTube is an open-source, federated, decentralized alternative to YouTube. The peer portion of the name is it uses P2P or peer-to-peer technology to save bandwidth, and then, you know, alternative YouTube, P2P, PeerTube. That's where it gets the name. Moving on. This latest release of 4.1 has a lot of updates. They improved the video player on mobile devices, making it easier to use, which is very important. They also added a cheat sheet for keyboard shortcuts. All you gotta do is press the question mark key on your device. Also, the plugin system has many updates, making it possible for plugin developers to do even more. And you can also now search videos, channels, and playlists instead of just videos on the current instances. And also, instance admins can now control more about the default settings for new uploads. Plus, there's also an option to disable P2P on embeds. This is important because if you are to post a a, a video from the peer, peer any in, instance of PeerTube, there's many different instances of PeerTube, and you want to put it on a website, if it was P2P, it would require people to have already got that connection there. You would need a server to kind of like uh, initialize the thing. So this way, it makes it easier to make sure that you can, you know, rest assured that the video will load properly and without, you know, lots of buffering and that sort of thing. So it's really nice to be able to do that for embeds. Also, PeerTube provides a great alternative to YouTube for those who want to set up their own instance, but it still suffers from discoverability. And it is very cool, it has federation options, but they could also use some improvements. So overall, I think PeerTube has a ton of potential, but there it's not really like an alternative in terms of like a full-blown replacement for YouTube. It's more like if you would like to host your own videos and have your own instance that people could share videos related to a particular topic and that sort of thing, the PeerTube is fantastic for that. And if that appeals to you, then check out the links in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of the Planner application, which is 3.0 being released. For those unfamiliar, Planner is a productivity app for keeping track of your tasks, projects, goals, and much more. This latest release has a complete redesign of the UI. I mean, Planner already looked good, but this latest version, it looks great with a very modern feel, in fact. Uh, This latest version also has a progress indicator for each project. They've added a new function to organize your task by sections. You can now drag and drop to create and order your tasks however you want. They've also had better integration with dark themes, which is fantastic, and also a bunch more. Plus, if for those who want to do syncing, you can actually sync it with the Todoist service. So if you don't want to use Todoist, it's hard to do the syncing in a way. But if you are a user of Todoist, then it, it's able to synchronize your projects, your tasks, your sections. Uh, also, it has support for Todoist offline. So you can work without an internet connection. And then when you have a connection, you can automatically synchronize it that way. So that's beneficial for some people who need to do that. And also, this latest version has added support for subtasks and reminder support was added, which is very important to be able to be notified. Like if you set a certain time of day and you miss it, you can to be reminded to fix it and do the thing that you wanted to do, which is awesome. And I think Planner is a really cool application. I've used it in the past and it is very nice. Uh, Some of the things that I did not like about it have been fixed in this latest version of 3.0. So I think I'll give it another shot. And I really like the fact that it's available as a flat hub or flat pack, which is nice too. So if you'd like to check it out, link in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome piece of software. It is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. 
How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff, which is awesome because that's the reason why password managers are lifesavers because I don't need to have, I don't need to remember what passwords I use for each account and what website and that sort of stuff because you shouldn't have to do that because if you tried to do that, you would be probably having a very terrible privacy or terrible security structure because you want to have a different password for each website, actually each account on each website, and trying to manage that would be terrible without Bitwarden. But we have Bitwarden, so that's awesome. Plus, you also can have access across many different types of devices, like a web browser, mobile applications, desktop applications, and even on the command line. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started right now. And did I mention you could get started for free? Well, you can, but I think you want to check out their premium account because you can get a ton of awesome stuff for less than a dollar per month. That's right, less than a dollar per month will give you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Priority Customer Service, Bitwarden Send, and so much more for less than a dollar per month. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your account today. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we have some security news to talk about because a vulnerability was found in Ubuntu Snap. So the Qualys team has discovered a vulnerability in the Snap-confined component of Ubuntu's Snap packaging system. They say that they successfully have exploitation of this vulnerability, and it will allow any unprivileged user to gain root privileges of a vulnerable host. So the Qualys research team has discovered multiple vulnerabilities in the Snap-confined function on the Linux-based systems that use Snap, the most important of which can be exploited to escalate privileges to gain root privileges. Now, Qualys recommends applying patches as soon as possible, and they are available. There is a package, depending on your distribution, if you have Snaps, that they have updated it, so you should be able to update immediately and get those patches, so do so as fast as possible. Also, Snap is a software packaging and deployment system developed by Canonical, for those who are not familiar, and it's one of the universal app formats made for Linux systems, just like Flatpaks and app images and that sort of stuff. So, SnapConfine is a program used internally by SnapD to construct the execution environment for Snap applications. So, successful exploitations of this vulnerability allows any unprivileged user to gain root privileges on the vulnerable host. Qualys security researchers have been able to independently verify the vulnerability, develop an exploit, and obtain full root privileges on default installations of Ubuntu. So it is very important that you update if you're using something that has snaps installed. So, But it is also important to note, note something else, because this vulnerability is a privilege escalation and it's very important to have it patched as soon as possible, but it's also important to note that this is a local-only security issue. This is not an attack vector for remote exploits. So... You know, there are some people yelling that this proves snaps are bad and people shouldn't use them because of it. But everything has potential for security holes. Just having code in general has that possibility. And Qualys did state that it was rather hard to find these issues because of the the defensive style of programming that they were using to create snaps. So that's great to know. Uh, but there, but the, the vulnerabilities do exist, so be sure to update. It's just not as bad as some people are expressing it is on various blogs and Twitter and stuff like that. It's not great. But it's not as bad as it could have been if it was a remote exploit and that sort of thing. So it does require local access. 
now or just already having access in some other way. Now, this is not to say that snaps don't have technical issues. I mean, they certainly do. I mean, in fact, they are rebuilding Snapcraft because of these issues, and we talked about that on a previous episode. And I personally prefer flat packs if I can use them, but that is not always the case. So I'm also willing to use snaps depending on the, th- the, the different applications, and, and it all depends on the app developers, you know, how they want to release software to the Linux ecosystem. If they want to use d- flat packs, great. If they want to use snaps, great. Whatever. As long as they're making software for the Linux ecosystem, I don't care what method they use. I just want them to make the software. Give me more software. <laughs> so anyway, if you'd like to learn more about this exploit or this vulnerability in general, then I'll have links in the show notes to the blog post from the Qualys research team. Up next in the show, Canonical has released Mir 2.7 as the newest version of its display stack. For those who don't know, Mir originally started life as a competitor to Wayland many years ago. But in 2017, work was done to pivot Mir into a compositor for Wayland instead. This work has a lot of potential for desktop environments that can't make their own a compositor for Wayland support, but still want to have support for Wayland. So that's why we're talking about it. And now this release of Mir 2.7 adds idle timeout option handling, uh, support for the ZWP underscore text underscore input underscore manager underscore V2. These packages are so well named. Wayland protocol used by some on-screen keyboards and cute applications. Also, they're moving to a C++ 20 compliant code base and a variety of other improvements. But with all that said, probably the most interesting change with Mir 2.7 is the introduction of Mir Oil. Mir Oil is a support API for helping to migrate Lomiri onto Mir. For those unaware, Lomiri is the UbiPorts project for what was originally the Unity 8 desktop that the UbiPorts team took over and they renamed it to Lomiri. So Mir Oil should help transitioning Lomiri to work on top of a modern Mir stack and in turn helping to get uh, UbiPorts Ubuntu's touch uh, uh, operating system for mobile working atop the Ubuntu 20.04 LTS base. And we've talked about UbiPorts working on to get this uh, base updated on the show multiple times, and it's great to see the Mir team working to help out with that effort. If you'd like to learn more about Mir in general or Mir 2.7, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about a beta release for the latest version of GIMP, which is 2.99.10. We're talking about this because this is in development to get towards the release of the 3.0 release, which will be a huge change. And they say that this latest version of 2.99.10 has been is basically a massive step forward to GIMP 3.0. So GIMP 2.99.10 brings some redesigned core concepts around layers, item locks, and more. In fact, one pain point that I had with GIMP is that the item locks, because it required you to select layers before you could find out if it was locked or not, now they've they've changed that, so they're placing a lock icon next to each layer to indicate whether it's locked or not, which is very, very helpful and similar to how other editors do it. So that's going to improve that part a lot. Now, GIMP 2.99.10 also substantially improves the new APIs with a lot of optimizations for Babel and Giggle. Uh, This is uh, also continued improvements for Wayland support, which is also great to see. And they've also done some file file support format stuff, like uh, basically PSD files and that sort of thing. Those have a lot of improvements too. 
And there's also a new line art mode for the uh, bucket fill tool, which is pretty cool. So you can use the fill tool with open lines and not have to worry about it uh, filling everything because that's what it used to do. If you have some like two lines that don't connect, there's a little gap. It would fill everything outside of it too. Now it actually kind of more intelligently connects to being, you know, realizes where the lines are supposed to be and kind of do some computational stuff to make sure it doesn't do that or do the whole expanding outside of the lines, which is awesome. And there's also a new welcome dialogue that was added, which is very helpful. It'll tell you like what new changes with the new latest version has and that sort of thing. And I tried the development flat pack for this release of GIMP, and I'm pleased that the progress about the progress that has been made. There is a lot of improvements overall, and I think it's a good sign for what 3.0 will be. The name of the application is still absolutely terrible, but that's another matter altogether. If you'd like to learn more about the latest beta release of GIMP 2.99.10, link in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Visuex.com. Visuex is a brand strategy design consultancy. This is a fancy way of saying that Visuex helps brands and businesses achieve their goals and accelerate growth to convert leads into customers through design and marketing services. Visuex also happens to be my company, so there's that. Visuex helps businesses gain a competitive advantage and build lasting relationships with their communities. Also, businesses shouldn't settle for, you know, good enough. When you can contact Visuex and get visual excellence... And as a listener of This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get a free consultation, plus if you let them know, me know, that you heard about Visuex from Twill to receive 10% discount on your first project. That's right, you can get a 10% discount on your first project when you contact me and let them let me know that you heard it from me on Twill. So go to Visuex.com slash DLN to get started, and I want to thank Visuex Me for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show is the latest release of libinput 1.20. So libinput is a library that provides a full input stack for display servers and other applications that need to handle input devices provided by the kernel. So libinput provides device detection, event handling, and abstraction to minimize the amount of custom input code that the user of the libinput needs to provide the common set of functionality that users expect to have with their various peripherals. So input event processing includes scaling, uh, scaling touch coordinates, uh, generating relative pointer events from touchpads, pointer accelerations for like a mouse. And one of the most significant changes of this latest release of libinput 1.20 is the improvements to the high-resolution scroll wheel support. So libinput has already supported high-resolution scrolling previously, but with libinput 1.20, it should be even better thanks to the new heuristics that were added. Also, libinput 1.20 has better handling of the uh, tools for pens and that sort of thing for graphic tablets, which is great to hear. Also, improvements to uh, the detection about whether or not it's a joystick or a gamepad because libinput doesn't do that. There's a different driver for that. So it, it makes it clear so like be able to pass it off to the right driver. Also, they've improved the uh, click pad detection and so much more. Another thing I found pretty exciting in this particular release is that a developer of TouchEgg, Jose Exposito, was involved in the latest release. So maybe we could see some direct gesture improvements in libinput, which would be really awesome. For those unfamiliar, TouchEgg is a software for adding multi-touch gestures to touchpads. So having uh, the developer of that being a part of this, in the, in the main library that is used for input in Linux just sounds awesome to me. So if you'd like to learn more about this, links in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of Network Manager with 1.36 being released. 
So Network Manager is software that is widely used for managing Linux wired and wireless network connections. And with the release of Network Manager 1.36, there are many improvements, such as adding support for 5G new radio modems. Uh, WPA3 Wi-Fi network security now allows enabling the new hash to element method. And there's also been a lot of memory usage improvements. For example, the handling of IP addressing and routing information is now done so more efficiently that with so it creates lower memory usage. Also, they've reworked the handling of Layer 3 configuration to be more robust while also enhancing performance and, of course, lowering memory use. And a lot more, if you'd like to learn more about this latest release of Network Manager, you can check the links in the show notes. Up next in the show, and the last topic for today, we're going to talk about Slack's 11.2. So Slack's 11.2 has been released, and this is the first release of this minimalist distribution in more than two years. So Slack started with a really interesting thing because they started as a Slackware-based distribution back in 2003, but eventually evolved into a minimalist live CD based on Debian. And this latest version updates all of the packages to versions for Debian Bullseye. And this release also adds support for EFI for USB booting. And 11.2 also provides full AUV, AUFS support, which is for a multi-layered file system. If you If you're interested in checking out a very lightweight distribution. It's not the lightest one, but there because there's some that are so light that it's not really practical, but it is very light. So if you'd like to check it out, I'll have links in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, and others. You can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. And if you become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics and just hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post-show, which is really fun. It can last between 30 minutes to a couple hours. Who knows? Whatever, however long it lasts, that's how long it lasts. And if you'd like to join it, go to tuxdigital.com slash contribute to become a patron. And you can also support the show by ordering the Linux Live Over t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt at dealinstore.com. Plus, while you're there, you can check out all the other great stuff we got. We got hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, desk mats even, which are gigantic mouse pads for your entire desk. Very cool. You can go to dealinstore.com to check out any of this stuff. And it's just really, we actually have a new vendor to make the the higher quality products for the store so if you already have something and you want to have like a better quality version of the same thing you could get another one at dealinstore.com if you like some more podcasting goodness for me then check out the latest episodes of destination linux and hardware addicts as i'm a co-host of both of those shows on the network we have a new episode of hardware addicts that just came out yesterday and we also have a new episode being recorded tomorrow for destination linux live so check that out dealinlive.com And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time and 1800 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to dlnlive.com. Again, we have a new channel that the live stream's on, but if you go to dlnlive.com, it's consistent every time anyway. So thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news.